26 years old, and he's already a Bassmaster Elite Series champion. How did he do it? I ask him directly. Wes Logan, the little ball of hate on... I'm Bob Cobb for the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Looks like you made it. You're halfway through the week. That's right. It is Wednesday. Happy hump day to all. Thank you for coming here to our podcast every single Wednesday. And we thank you for celebrating hump day with us. Not just hump day. It is World Statistics Day. Happens every five years as a statistician like Ronnie Moore would remind you. It is also International Chef Day. International Sloth Day, World Osteoporosis Day, and an International Day of the Air Traffic Controller. And oh, oh, look at this. This is jumping ahead a day. But tomorrow is International Nacho Day. If you don't like nachos, I probably don't like you. I mean, there's something. The nice thing about nachos is they are the bits and bites of food. I mean, there's something in there for everybody. If you, if you don't like nachos, you'll like the cheese. If you don't like the cheese, you, you'll like the peppers. If you don't like the peppers, you might like the meat. So, but, I mean, nachos is the gift that keeps on giving, just like this podcast and another banger here this week. I know I say that week after week, but it's kind of my goal week after week to bring you guests and, and get inside some of the most amazing minds in the great sport of fishing. And uh, I think we've done that most most weeks and uh and we will continue to do that you guys let me know who you want to hear from or if you're one of those amazing minds out there and you want to be on the show let me know but let's not worry about future shows because like i said we got a banger here today elite series champion wes logan the little ball of hate the only nickname i've ever given that i feel needs to come with an explanation every single time i say it because people hear the word hate and they're like is he a hateful man he's not hateful he just hates losing <laughs> if you look at him when he looks at the scales man it's almost like he's willing the right number to appear there so that's what made him the little ball of hate but it doesn't matter what i think about it you come here to hear what our guests think about things so let's go to him right now all the way in alabama the little ball of hate wes logan all the way from alabama i am joined by the one and only little ball of hate wes logan how are you today I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, uh, I'm trying to convert from the little ball of hate to the little ball of great, but uh, it, it's a work in progress. You, you've had moments. You've had great moments, indeed. Yeah. I mean, first of all, let, let's deal with that, the little ball of hate. Do you like it or dislike it? I like it. Um, I, I really like it that you gave me a name, but I'm trying to – I just have to explain to people that it, it's not like a hatred I have for anything. <laughs> I feel like I'm a nice person. It's more of an intensity thing. Like as far as I, like hating to lose, and that's that's where the name originated. I mean, yeah. you know, last year, at, or I guess it would be two years ago now at Gunnersville, when you know I, I obviously it started off I didn't like the lake, and then like I kept doing better as the tournament went on, but I still wasn't obviously happy about it, and then I wasn't happy with the finish, and it just you know it, it really stuck after that because I mean it was a it was a disheartening moment, but it made the name stick as well as just a hating to lose thing, not really a hatred towards anything in general. Yeah, no, and it is one of those weird nicknames because, and I find myself when I say it on stage that I need to give a caveat, you know, like it's not, he's not hateful. He just hates losing it. But it, honestly, you know, the first time I 
said it or thought of it is just watching you on stage. I mean, uh, it's almost like you're never satisfied. I mean, the original, just so you know, the original Little Ball of Hate it played for the Detroit Red Wings. His name is Pat Verbeek. He loves to fish, but he's also a professional hockey player. And he was the Little Ball of Hate. But, I mean, he was more hateful on the ice than than, than sure. I think and, you and he was probably He was probably a little bit bigger than me as far as size comparison, if I had to imagine. Um but yeah, and a funny story about that. One of the tournaments, I don't remember which one it was. It may have been Gunnerville this year. You called me out uh, that first day, day one, and you said, "Little ball of hate." Was like, you know, my marshal looked at me. He was like, "What's he talking about?" I was like, <laughs> "I said you'll see today at some point." And I said, "When you see it and think about, it, just say something to me." And it was probably about ten o'clock, and a kayak came like. I don't know, like right through the mat I was fishing. And I didn't really say a whole lot, but I think I said, I mean, I probably said something. Like, obviously, it ticked me off. And about 10 minutes later, he was like, hey, just by the way, I, I know why they call you a little ball of hate. <laughs> I got it. I got it now. Well, he's like, he said, say no more. Like, I, I got you, buddy. <laughs> but but it is it is meant as a compliment. And, and I think that that hate – to lose has to exist in you. I mean, in, in every, every one of you dudes that I hang out with on the road, you guys all are that group of people who, who none of you are ever happy when, when it doesn't go right. No, for sure. And I, I, uh, let me think about it. Who it was Greg Hackney. There was a clip on live or the TV show of one of them. I think it was a tournament at St. John's that he was leading that Clun ended up catching like 30 something pounds the third day. And there's a clip of Hackney. He was like, you know, when we show up to these tournaments, at that time, I think they had 100 people. He was like, there's going to be 99 of us that go home disappointed. And if you're not disappointed, one of those 99, then you don't need to be here. And, I mean, that's kind of stuck with me, you know, as far as making the elites and all that stuff. If you're not there to try and win every tournament or you're not pissed off when you don't win, then, like he said, you don't need to be there because – I mean, nobody's fishing for, you know, 10th place. There's nothing wrong with getting 10th. I would take it every time, but I'm not fishing for that. That's not what I want. If I'm not satisfied if I don't get that. Obviously, you got a lot more than 10th this year. You took an elite series victory. Does that trophy with you at 26 years old, I think, are you 26 or 27 now? I was 26 when I won, and I, I'm 27 now. Oh, you're, you've aged. Okay. At 27 <laughs> years old, you've won the elite series title. Does that trophy take pressure off you or put pressure on you? Um, let me think about the, how I want to say it. From a financial standpoint, obviously it took some pressure off. Um, but as far as from a competitive standpoint, pressure, no, it, it kind of, I'm not going to say it added anymore because I don't feel like I've, I, like I know how to go win now. Like I think that's kind of cliche. Um, but as far as, like just me wanting to – the main thing that happened when I won going into that next tournament at Gunnersville that I said on a lot of podcasts and, like, talked to a lot of people, I didn't want it to be like a one-hit wonder. Like, yeah. okay, he went to his home lake and he got lucky and caught a five-and-a-half-pounder on a bridge that 75 people had fished an hour before. Like, I, I didn't want to be like, oh, he's it's just a luck thing. Like, I, I still want to be, like, that consistent, like, make the classic every year, be in contention to win a few, like – I, don't, I just didn't want – that's the most pressure I put on myself is to not let it be a, a one-hit wonder. Is that the hardest thing about this sport? I mean, it's got a freakishly odd consistency of success in the way that I mean. Like, you think of the best to ever do it, you know, and, and I would put that on Kevin's head, is the yeah. best to ever do it. For sure. I mean, he's won 25 Bassmaster events, and he fished like 28 years or 29 years. So 
the it's not even once a year it's more rare than christmas yeah. <laughs> to win on the how do you deal with that mentally like just knowing that i've got into a profession that <laughs> you're uh, i mean you're not going to see that many wins no matter how good it goes yeah yeah and and that's the main thing about it and the the craziest thing about our sport is there's so many variables that you have to deal with that i don't think people really understand from a professional standpoint like like a perfect like the mlb like they know it's going to be 90 feet to first, 90 feet to second, you know, just it, it's a, it's always stable for them where ours is, it's almost a constant unstable or instability where we deal with, you know, people being on our public playing field. That's the stuff you can't control. Like you may have the winning fish found and they'd be the easiest bass in the lake to catch and you roll up there and there's 10 locals sitting on it and there's not a thing you can do about it. So you go from having the mindset of, I've got a winning area or a winning hole to I've got to scrap everything and just try and survive the tournament and get some good points out of it. Where, like I said, 12 hours ago, you were planning on how you were going to accept your trophy on the stage. Like it, it's that kind of stuff that makes it a different than everything else. And that you don't, I didn't even realize it getting into like fishing, like fishing, you know, around here when I was growing up team tournaments and stuff, it's a whole different playing field when you've got that wrap boat on or a wrap on your boat. And you're out there and everybody's all the eyes are on you. And you, you've got to just think about stuff like, OK, if I go fish this, if I run straight to this, one of the, I, I'm not trying to go down a rabbit hole, but I just thought of something that is a real good perspective from us. Like if I'm sitting here and I want to go in this bigger creek and I run straight to this creek, straight to this first little main lake or main point, And there's a local sitting over here that's just flying down the bank. He's going to notice me running straight there and then running straight to the next one. And I can promise you nine times out of 10, he's going to go fish that stuff like right yeah. behind me. So we, all that stuff has to come into play. And that's the biggest learning curve that I think we get into as far as getting into the elites and having all the eyes and pressure on you. So, I mean, I didn't mean to go down a rabbit hole, but I'm just trying to put things in perspective how more than it is just going out there and fishing in a day. Like it's so much more than that, that people, I don't think a lot of people understand. I would imagine that in some ways, being from Alabama alone in some ways could be a bit of an advantage just to be prepared for how tough this career is going to be because I mean, there is not a circuit, you know, obviously the ABT gets a, a lot of hype around it and all the stuff that they do, but there's not a circuit. I don't care if it's a Tuesday night fruit jar tournament, you show up and there's, I mean, Scott Canterbury might be standing right there. Trip Weldon. I mean, yeah. there's, you never know who uh, Gerald Swindle fished him all the time. I mean, you guys fish against the who's who of fishing growing up. Yeah. And I've got a bunch of, like you said, growing up, I've got a bunch of older gentlemen that, you know, kind of I fished with that I'm not going to say they're older, but they're in their, you know, mid forties and fifties that have steady jobs and good families. But I promise you, if they could drop everything and come fish with us, they could compete like like just any one of us because they just have that good of fishing ability. But they don't have a need to because they make enough money locally to be able to support their family and support their fishing needs. It doesn't mean that they don't want to or they don't have the fishing ability. But going back to being in Alabama, you, that's what you get. Again, you you pull up on a, a, a Friday afternoon, six to nine, and there's three guys that could easily compete on the elite series. So, I mean, it's never like you just go fishing for fun. You're going to fish around, you know, six or eight guys that don't know how to cast a bait caster. You're going to take their money. Like that don't happen around here very often. When did this dream start for you? Is it something that it evolved as time went on or was it like, 
from the first time you fished a tournament, you knew this, I got to do this more. I don't, the, from a tournament standpoint, I mean, I went, I fished some team tournaments with my dad when I started around five or six. And, and I mean, I'm truly grateful that he took me because I mean, that, that really, it sparked the interest in tournament fishing, but I would say, you know, to be completely honest, as far as making a career out of this, I would say probably around my junior year in high school, I was probably 16 or 17 and me and my good buddy of mine and my dad and my granddad had, I'd been successful in tournaments, team tournaments, but I decided to fish a few, you know, like draw tournaments, boater, co-angler, and I was actually able to do really well and, you know, made a good chunk of money being 16, 17 in high school. And I was like, you know, there's, there might be a chance here, but also at that time I was thinking that I was going to go play college baseball and, and not no D1, nothing D1 or anything like that. I just had a few offers or had some interest from some, you know, high standing junior colleges around here. And I really thought that's what I was going to do. I was, you know, that's, that was just my plan. And then well, what, what position did you play? Shortstop. Shortstop. I knew it. You look like a freaking shortstop. <laughs> I was going to guess right there, but okay. Shortstop. Okay. One, one of my good buddies, we would play short and second together. He had a little bit stronger arm than I did. He was a little bit taller. So I was more of like a second baseman guy, but we kind of, you know, we would rotate if he had to go pitch or something, but the good Lord stepped in my senior year, like three or four games in. I got I, I turned on an inside pitch, and the ball actually come off the bat, hit me right under my right eye. Um, but and, and what everybody's like, well, you probably wasn't gonna go play anyway if you still didn't go. I was, but my senior year is when all the interest was kind of coming. So with me not getting to play for you know three or four weeks, it kind of set that back. And what's weird is that following summer is when the, the fishing career like kicked off like instantly. Like it was almost like every tournament I jumped in, like it was a bigger tournament and I did well. Then I qualified for this tournament. Like that summer, that summer going into fall, I fished all the BFLs. I went and fished a regional tournament at the St. John's. I was uh, 18. I didn't know what I was doing. Ended up finishing second in it, qualified for the All-American, finished 12th in it. I've, dude, I had to go buy a graph for my boat to go fish the all American. Cause it was on Kentucky Lake in 2014 and there was no bass on the bank in June, evidently. Um, so I had to go buy a graph, learn how to like scan and stuff. Ended up finishing 12th by God knows how, but just how fast it happened right through then. It was kind of like a, like a sign, like, okay, I probably need to try and pursue this. Cause I, I mean, at the time I was framing houses with my uncle and then I would go fishing. Like that was just what I was doing. And you're kind of, I was kind of in that limbo mode of a, you know, a, a late teenager, early 20s kid that don't know what he's wanting to do. And it just seemed like every time I went and fished, things would happen and I would do good in tournaments I shouldn't. So it was kind of like, hey, you, 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 it's right here, buddy. You need to open your eyes. A lot of pro anglers seem to be house framers. Does that just say that how much framing houses sucks? Well, <laughs> <laughs> like exactly. you do that, you're going to want a way out. Exactly. And, and I mean, I'm – like I said, I'm truly grateful that my uncle allowed me to work with him and then yeah. be off if I ever needed to or anything like that. But, you know, it, it's kind of odd, like a bunch of, you know, Swindle built houses, Randall Tharp built houses. My uncle as a home builder was a, is a heck of a fisherman. He just, he was one of those guys that just never wanted to pursue, you know, go that way. And I, I think it's a, a little bit of, you know, there's a lot of outdoors people that yeah. build houses and then, like you just said, it, it's so awful that when you're out there fishing, you're like, well, I know it don't suck as bad as Monday's going to be when I'm swinging that hammer. So I'm going to fish as hard as I can. I, I'm not going to, you know, just try and get by. I'm going to – and I don't know. It just – you hit the nail on the head saying it sucks. You know? <laughs>
Yeah, well, it does. I could just imagine people pounding. That. I mean, the only thing worse is if you climb on the roof and become a roofer. I would imagine. I, I, I will never be a roofer. I've got a lot of respect for roofers. I've carried a lot of roofing up on roofs for roofers, but you know, and I, I say I was a framer. I, I helped my uncle was a home actual home builder. Yeah. He was a contractor, so we did everything. Sometimes we'd have to jump in, but I did mostly trim work, which I enjoyed doing. But again, it's still not going out there to catch a pass. Anything that. What are the comparables between, obviously, it's a totally different sport. I mean, a team sport in baseball. But obviously, if you play to a fairly high level, you know, you had interest from schools. Did you take anything from baseball that applies to the Elite Series, or is it totally different? No, I think more of not exactly baseball, because I played baseball and football. And uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying I was great at either one of them, but, I mean, I played hard. What position I was, I was, in football? Running back? I, I actually I played running back. I didn't like running back. I don't know for some reason. I like defense. Like I, I hated offense, but they made me play receiver. Like I, I played slot receiver because I could kick. Like I had decent hands, but like obviously I wasn't going to outrun anybody. But I was more like a. They called me a possession receiver. Like if we needed a first down, like I would get it. But yeah. I, I just wanted to hit somebody instead of not being hit. That was my deal. So okay. I played outside linebacker and safety a lot on defense. Um, but. I don't know. I think more from a like a high school standpoint. My high school uh, head football coach and baseball coach had a lot of influence on me from a a working standpoint and a, and a not giving up and a drive. Um, that kind of I mean is with anything I do, fishing, working. Like I feel like the work ethic that they instilled in me, along with my dad and you know my granddad, it, it was a it was good for me in my high school situation because I felt like I had a dad at football practice, a dad at baseball practice, and a dad at home. So, I mean, they were, I mean, they were on me pretty good, but like, I mean, obviously it made me into the person I am today from a, from a work ethic standpoint, which I take over to preparing for tournaments during practice, during the tournament. Like it's just, it, it all combines together and I wouldn't be here without all of those and all that situation. So, I mean, I'm obviously grateful for that. You have a and, great family. Really I do, and I, and I don't know what I've did to deserve it. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not trying to get emotional, but, like, I see other people in my situation that don't have the support that I do, and I can't imagine how hard it is to not have the support that I do. And, and like, I know how tough it is on me, or I think it how tough it is having all the support that I do, and then I see other situations. I'm like, man, that I've got a lot of respect for that guy because he doesn't have a lot of it, and he's still out here grinding his butt off. One of the coolest things that ever happened with your family, and I'm just telling you this because I think it's cool to see everybody sees their family in front of them. But, but man, I just it's one of those things that's just odd. And it just stood out to me as, wow, that says a lot about that group of people. Everybody, you know, a lot of people have support in the mornings. You know, their family will come and stuff. So, and some people don't have, have it. You're uh -huh. right. But, but I mean, there's a lot of families that do that. But when your family really stood out to me, and I don't even remember what event it was, you were on the water. It was an event where you were in the top 10 and also Polnick was in the top 10, I believe. And um, it might've been top 50. It doesn't matter. But both of you guys were fishing that day. And I remember they see me and they're like, he just got a big one. And they're freaking out. Like they're excited and really, truly excited. And I'm like, I'm looking through Bass Track and, and I'm looking at you and you hadn't caught a big one. And I'm like, it's not reported on Bass Track. And they're like, no, no, we mean Polnick. And mm -hmm. they were so excited. And, and I'm like, oh, I thought you were talking about Wes. I mean, <laughs> and they said, yeah, well, we want Wes to win, but we cheer for all the guys. And Paul Nick's a really good guy. And I mean, to me, to see 
that natural excitement that they had, you know, for Polnick just yeah. because they know he's a good person. I mean, it says a lot about them as people. Oh yeah. And, and like I said, they're my, I can't, I would never be able to repay them for the, what they do for me. But like you said, they want, they know good people and they want good people to be successful, regardless if it means me losing. They, the only thing about that is, and what I try to tell people is in our sport, in our situation, and you always see it as the tournament progresses, the guy who's supposed to win always wins. Like there's yeah. no doubt about it. That that guy was supposed to win that tournament. And it may happen on day one at seven o'clock in the morning. It may happen at day four at 1 30 in the afternoon and weigh ins at two. So they know they're okay with if I get beat. Now, if I do something stupid or if I make a mistake or if I don't work hard enough, they get on me, but they're still happy that that guy was able to win because he needed it for some reason. He needed the money, he needed it for sponsors, just anything like that. And I mean, that's just, I mean, that's just how they are. That's how I was raised. Yeah, I'll get pissed off and I'll get mad if I don't win. But at the end of it, I'll be back, maybe sitting at the house or driving home and Riley will be like, well, you know, he was supposed to win. Like it wasn't your tournament to win. I mean, it's just, it's just that simple. As mad as I get. And and even me as an angler, I'll be on the water and like something will happen. And I'll be like, it's probably not going to happen today. Like it's just, it's just not our deal. And then all of a sudden it can change in 30 minutes and you're like, you got to spark a life. So, I mean, it's just, it all comes back to them raising me and, you know, them just being really good down to earth, you know, good people. How, how do you, to say that, to say like, it's not meant, and I do believe that I, I, I tournament anglers, anybody that's spent any time tournament fishing, I think we all kind of believe there's when you win stuff happens and weirdness. Not and just, <laughs> yeah. And, and when you're not supposed to win the opposite happens and it sounds simple, but as a competitor, how do you justify that? That's almost like me saying, you know, I announced some names and some of them come out right and uh, some of them come out wrong. It's really up to the name for fairy or, or <laughs> the name gods, whether it's my time to say the name right or wrong, you'd go and say, but as a competitor, how do you, I think from the outside, it's easy to say that, but, but can you really feel that? Yeah, and I, it may be harder for other people, and it was a kind of a struggle for me starting out because I wanted to do so good, and I think that's what happened with me my two years ago, my rookie season, is I had so many opportunities to have an amazing season, and stuff just went wrong, and I was fighting a emotional, spiritual battle as to why it wasn't happening. Like, I was putting myself in the position, I was doing everything right, and I was either losing a fish or just stuff out of my control happening. And I think it was just, I finally in the off season and I'm telling you, this is, I've just been able to handle this in the past 12, 14 months is we just, I had a, I, I, Riley sat me down. My mom sat me down. My dad sat me down and we all just talked about it. How if it's meant to be from God wanting it to happen for it wanting to have being able to happen that point in your life, it's going to happen. And for me, just being able to accept that, that somebody else deserves that blessing this time, or I lost those fish. So somebody else could win or somebody else could, you know, just all that stuff. And I feel like us sitting down in the off season and it was a quick turnaround from the off season. Cause we had like two months and just be able to, you know, sit down, get, spiritually focused, mentally focused, all that stuff going into the season. I feel like that's what made this year a lot better for me. And I feel like it's going to, you know, be good down the road, but I think that's how I handle it. And I mean, you just got to be, you just have to accept it. Like 
you can't argue the fact that if you go out there and lose six four pounders in two hours and another guy catches every one of them, you can't fight that that's not fate for him to catch them and you not. Like it's just not going to happen. And the fact in learning to accept that in our career is very tough, but I think it will in, in the end will make you a more successful angler. Yeah, and I guess it's just knowing whether you're supposed to win or you just really want to win. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Because that's a big, I mean, sure, when you led the Forcewood Cup, you wanted to win, I'm sure. I mean, every party you wanted to win that. But, and I mean, it may, and I may be able to accept it more now because, like I said, not, I'm not bragging by any means, but I've been in that position to win yeah. a lot of big events. And it just, I'm telling you, if you, if people had been in my boat on that last day, whether it had been a, a day three or a day four, like it just was not going to happen that day. Like, like the Forestwood Cup, I went on the last day and got one bite all day. And they come up schooling around me. And this is on Lake Wachita where we were catching schooling 13 inch spotted bass. And 30 minutes into that morning, four and five pound largemouth were schooling, running by my truck. They were just everywhere. And I never got one to bite. And I mean, what do you, what do, you do? And then Clint, which is a really good buddy of mine, goes out there and catches drops 18 pounds in August. So, I mean, it, it's, he was supposed to win. Like it, like, and, and what's awesome about that is you hear stories of, Two months later, he was driving home from, I think, an elite event, maybe, or he was driving home from somewhere, and he was thinking about quitting, like, selling yeah. all his stuff. Like, he, his career was almost over, and then for that to happen, like, it, it's just – that's why stuff happens that way. But and, and like I said, maybe it's because I've I've led those tournaments and it just didn't happen. Uh, but, and, and then for it to happen at Neely the way it did, like, the day started out so terrible. Like, I was just losing and losing them, and I was like, man, it's – and then all of a sudden it flipped like a light switch and like everybody I got, got in the boat. And I was like, it's, this is why I didn't win all those. So my first big win could be in front of, you know, where I grew up fishing, where I fished my first tournament. Like it's crazy how everything came full circle with that. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And, and when it ha- in retrospect, it's easy to look back and be like, oh, well, I wasn't ready at that time, but it doesn't, at, at time, that time, it doesn't feel any different. Hell, I was, I was sure enough ready for it to happen. <laughs> But thinking about that, I mean, was a 23-year-old kid really ready to have $300,000 to his name with all that comes to that? Like, I mean, truthfully thinking, as much as happened from that last Forestwood Cup in this industry, like, I mean, dude, I could have went down a road that, yeah, I mean, it just wouldn't have been good, just personally speak. I mean, just looking at how it happened for other situations that went that way, like, it could have been – because I couldn't guarantee if I'd have won that tournament, I'd probably got an invite, truthfully. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, I would assume. And, I mean, I mean, like I said, you got a 23-year-old kid that's getting fed all this stuff that may be true, that may not be true. I'll never know. Nobody will ever know, really, like what gets said behind closed doors. But, like I said, I probably – if I had won that tournament, which would have been the biggest tournament, at, you yeah. know, one of the bigger tournaments, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you, which is – and that may have been fine, but I'm very content and very happy that I'm where I'm at right now. Yeah, and you wouldn't be the little ball of hate. No, I would not be. I would probably be – somebody would say West Lowe, and they'd be like, who? Like, And they still may do that. I, w- I mean, I, th- I wouldn't surprise me at all. But it, it wouldn't have – everything happens for a reason, and that happened for sure for that reason. What's it like – you said it, but what's it like losing to a friend in a situation like that? Because everything in your heart and your family and everything, you, you know, you go to bed that night, you wake up the next morning, you brush your teeth, you're ready to win yeah. the Forestwood Cup. 
At the end of the day, you not only didn't win it, but one of your buddies beat you. Like what? Yeah. I, I would feel that there has to be. I mean, it's only human nature that there's some natural tearing of emotions, or, yeah, or whatever yeah. way you want to explain it as. In, in a way, but I mean, regard like fishing's so much different than like. Like if me and Clint were to get in a boxing ring or line up against each other in football or him be a pitcher and I'd be hitting, like I feel like we're going against each other, okay? So like I'm trying to beat Clint, Clint's trying to beat me. But I feel like in our fishing situation, it's us and the fish. Like it's us in the lake. It's not like I go out there with a mindset like I've got to beat that guy and I've got to beat that guy. Now, given if we're in a situation where it's me and – whoever is first and second and we got a 10 pound lead on some on third place like it's gonna be me one one on one but i don't know and it, it all goes back to dude if if he catches 18 pounds and i get one bite all day dude it wasn't ever a competition like he yeah. was gonna win it, it wouldn't have mattered if i would have ran 60 miles the other way in the lake and thought i was gonna catch some six pounders like it, it just wasn't going like I would, and even if I'd have went and called him and had thirty pounds been driving back, my boat blew up. Like, and he still caught his. Like, it still goes back to it was meant to be. And I mean, I'll never be mad at somebody for winning a tournament when I didn't. Like, I don't care if it's my worst enemy. Like, not saying I have any worst enemies on the elites, but it, it's just there was a reason he needed that win more than you did, and that that's how I go about all that. The biggest. The biggest the memory keeps popping in my head, and I want to talk about it, going back from that lost fish and all that stuff, is the, the September Gunnersville tournament yeah. on day three. I lost a giant, like, in the middle, like, close to the end of the uh, end of the day, like a six or seven pounder. Only fish I lost all week, like a net, flipping, you know, punching that matted grass. Like, you're supposed to lose some fish. It's the only bass I lost all week. Ended up catching a good one, like, 30 minutes later, which saved, like, put me in the lead, but – then we go out on day four, Frank's in sixth or seventh. Like, probably, I mean, obviously Frank wants to win, but he's in his mind. He's like, I'm just going to catch as much as I can and see what happens. I go out and have a tough day. Everybody has a tough day, and he has a stellar day. And, come, I mean, like, I mean, I liked Frank then. We talked, but after that tournament, me and him have become probably closer friends than I would have ever imagined. Like, I talk to him once a week. He's one of the best people I've ever met. But really is. But on the planet, he, not on the elites, like he, on the like as a genuine planet. human being. Yeah. But then after that tournament, and I knew I didn't realize until at way in that his family had drove out from Texas for that one day. Like, and I even mentioned something on stage that you know his family's there and all that. But then after that tournament, to learn that everything Frank Talley's been through, and like that he's, I, I mean, it's just you get emotional thinking about it because of how it all played out. Like again, we I, I hate to keep reiterating, but it was supposed to happen. Like, I was supposed to lose that fish on day three because I would have had, like, a six- or seven-pound lead going in the last day. He would have had to catch, like, 25. Like, it just – not saying that Frank won because I lost the fish. That's not what, what I'm getting at by any means. But I'm just – I'm really glad that all of that happened because I'm closer to Frank, and I love that man with everything in me. Then I mean, it's just – he's just an awesome guy, and I can't say enough about him. And I'm glad that that played out like it did. He really is. And, and, and I totally agree. I mean, I think that, uh, I really think that, that, that part of the reason too, that it doesn't feel like you're competing against somebody is because of, again, the freakishly low success rate. You know yeah. what I mean? Like everybody, Clint Davis had so many crushing defeats before that victory. You know what I mean? Frank Talley, 
not just in tournaments, but in life, had so many crushing defeats before. And you had crushing defeats. And I always try to tell people that on stage. And it's weird. It's a weird thing to say to somebody at the time. And I know when they hear it, they're just like, yeah, whatever. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, but it, it's part of the story. It's building, you know, part of the reason that as many pros were excited to see you win is because they saw you lose. You know what I mean? And there's, honestly an exception and literally a handful of anglers and and i even think i could come up with a handful that didn't feel that you know what i mean like uh, i mean jordan lee be one of them kevin be one of them there's very few of them that just hit the ground running and uh, and feel nothing um don't feel that defeat so i think that that kind of humanizes it amongst all of us you know and and i also think it's because none of you guys did this to get rich no, I mean? no you, you don't become a professional bass fisherman to get rich. I mean, if you want to become a millionaire fishing, start as a billionaire. Is what you know, that's the whole saying. Uh, but, you know, I think that's where a lot of the emotion comes from, like in our final day weigh-ins. I mean, every now and then you'll have a guy win that, you know, has won a whole lot. And he still gets excited, don't get me wrong, but that pure raw emotion, like, a you know, a taku at the end of the year, like mine, like Bill Lowen's, like that's where all that stuff builds up from. And it, it just, it literally comes down to a, a number flashing on a screen and like, it just goes haywire. Like everything's a blur. Like I still remember everything clearly, but it was just like all that work. It's just, it, it was worth it for that, you know, that number popping up on that screen. Well, what does that really feel like the next day? Like when you, I mean, to win an elite series event, at 26 years old you know what i mean to 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 win it at home so much more you know what i mean that it's so rare it's something people say you can't even do to turn and hug gerald swindle a guy who if we're talking about things being right should have won that tournament and so many others before it um but what does that feel like on monday morning you wake up and you're i know you got a bunch of phone calls and text to answer to but like, was there a moment where you're like, holy crap? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I think it all hit me about – because actually our last term – our last day was on Monday. Oh, that's so, right. So I didn't even show up for years, so I don't – Yeah. That's yeah. – <laughs> well, that's another that's – that's a story to be told a different day. Um, <laughs> I think it kind of hit me like probably Thursday or Friday because it was so crazy. And like after yeah. the after the weigh in, it was real. It was hectic. I you know I did all the the public stuff, the PR stuff, all the interviews and stuff like that. And my best friend, one of my other really good buddies, Riley, mom, dad went to you know I was staying right there at River Rock Landing in Gas, and we went there. And you know I was three or four hours getting there, and they were all hanging around. You know they had them a few beverages and stuff, just kind of chilling. <laughs> they were more excited than I was at that point. Like they were all celebrating. And I was kind of like, like I got really high, like in all the interviews, not high, but like, you know, had that emotional high, whatever you're into. <laughs> and I was non judgmental podcast. It's like a 10 minute drive from the ramp to through all the traffic to the camper. And me and Riley was with me. And by the time I got to the gate, like it just like dropped, like it, yeah. all, I mean, I was dead. We went out to eat at top of the river and it was just kind of like laid back. And I, I literally had to turn my phone, like just put my phone up because it would not stop going off. The craziest thing is I walked in the top of the river and got swarmed by people. Like our waiter knew me, people sitting over at this table knew who I was. And I'm not saying it from a bragging, but it was just like, 
I, I, I just had to start realizing that people are going to start recognize who and I am, like who I am. So I've got to be careful what I say and what I do. Big <laughs> ball of hate, you know, little things kind of perturb me. I can't really pop off anymore like I was when I was 18 or 19. Um, but, yeah, it, like I said, it, it all came to, like, realization I, probably Wednesday or Thursday morning I woke up at home, and I, I probably woke up early and the trophy was just sitting there. I was like, dude, I got one of them blue trophies. Like, And the fact that it says Neely Henry on it, that it's, it's pretty incredible. And – I don't know. I don't know that – and, again, I, I said this during – Neela Henry is not the lake that it used to be. It's in a, one of them down, you know, yeah. down periods, which is really unfortunate. But we're trying to do a lot with fish, Neela Henry, and all that to get that lake brought back to what it was because it really it did very well in our tournament from the conditions we had, thankfully. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's not very healthy at this moment. But I would really like to see – I would like to see the Bassmasters come back to the Coos River at all because it is a special place in the country that, you know, obviously has the spotted bass, largemouth mix, all that. But I would like to see us come back, not for me personally, but just for it's dead center in Alabama, you know, big fishing, all that stuff. I, I think we'll be back, but I hope we are. I'm sure we'll be back. Who motivates you on the Elite Series? If you, you know, and it doesn't have to be one angler, it could be a handful of anglers, it could be Hackney. Hackney? Mm-hmm. Why? I've looked up to him from, I mean, the time I could watch a TV or Bassmasters was on TV, like, and the fact that me and him are like, you know, I on, like I talk to him, like I have his number, I'll text him every now and then, like we see each other, we talk, like, it's just, I don't know, he fishes like I do, or I, I fish like he does, not <laughs> me, that, it, that's definitely opposite, because I've tried to mold myself around three guys. And I told you this on stage at Gunnersville, the final like Hackney, Paul, Nick, and Christy. And I just feel like their mindset and their, the way they fish, like it just fits how I want to fish and how I feel like my mindset and my work ethic is, but him just how, just his thought process on fishing and on it. And I guess probably in life in general, like it's just so different than mine. And that's how, not that I want to be a mold of Greg Hackney, but I love his mindset and his thought process on breaking down a lake, on why the fish was there, why he did this, why he did that. Like, I feel like the fishing with him is so much more than, oh, well, I just went down this bank throwing square bill and I caught three. Like, it's probably just a good yeah. bank. Like, the way that he breaks stuff down, and Paul and Nick and Christy as well. But from a, if I had to pick, like, one person, like, dead on, it would be Hackney. But I could take – what am I trying to say? I could take little pieces from every one of them. If you could put them together, I mean, obviously you'd have probably – the best angler to ever pick up a rod and reel hands down like you've got christy's thought process on breaking down a lake you've got brandon paul and it's positive mindsets on an outlook of life and like just doing the right thing the right way and then you've got jason christie's like killer instinct like final day i'm gonna go win regardless if i'm in 10th or first like just his closing status i mean it's just that those are the three guys that i feel like you know i want to mold and try and duplicate things that they do in the way they think. Is that one of the coolest things about our sport? When you think about, I'm just listening to you talk and thinking, you know, I mean, it's rare right now what's happening in the NFL that, that a generational player like Patrick Mahomes is getting to play against a generational player like Tom Brady. That doesn't happen. And that is a super rarity. And, and Tom Brady has done it through not eating a French fry for the last 35 years. Evidently. <laughs> Evidently. Um, and now he's playing, I think he's 45 now. So I'm assuming he ate French fries by the time he was stopped at that around 10 years old. But 
how cool is that that you get to compete against the guys that you grew up, you know, idolizing guys like Hackney and stuff like that? Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm again, I'm grateful to be able to have that opportunity to just be around those guys because a 16, 15 year old kid sitting there watching Bassmasters on ESPN like at six o'clock in the morning, you're like, it never clicks in your mind that I'm going to be fishing around this guy in 10 years, let alone, I mean, just being able to compete against him and talk to him and learn from him. I mean, I, that's, that's one of the coolest things with our sport and give props to those guys being as professional as they are in high rank that they still give you the time of day because the, in the, in the end we are competing against each yeah. other. So they are your competitor, but the fact that they will talk to you and if you have a question, give you some advice. I mean, it's, it's just, I don't know. You can't, chalk that up in any other sport i'm sure you may have some instances where you've got a same guy on a same a teammate that'll give you some pointers and stuff like that but on opposing teams you i don't think you would ever see that i don't think you'd have tom brady calling up tom, uh Mahomes about hey dude your three-step drops kind of off you need to be doing like something like that like i just don't see that happen no i think they're i think their families argue over twitter i think that's what's happening there that's I, pretty cool that's pretty cool i don't get on twitter a whole lot i, I i'm a big facebook uh instagram guy but i, I kind of cut it off there who intimidates you on the elite series maybe it's the same answer uh it i mean from a fishing you talking about from a fishing standpoint? any 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 way you want to take it yeah, you might be I intimidated mean, them at a drive through restaurant i don't know <laughs> uh I don't know. I mean, from a fishing standpoint, like if we were in a top 10, I, I said this when, at Neely, I, they said, who are you most worried about? And I said, Jason Christie. And that's just because I know his mindset. I know how good a fisherman he is. And I knew how the fish were setting up. And obviously he had done bet, you know, better every day of that tournament. So, I mean, if there was going to be somebody say, hey, who do you not want fishing against you? That would probably be the guy, like just from a fishing standpoint. But I don't know, from an intimidation standpoint, like, I don't know. Those Canadians kind of intimidate me because I don't really – I can't tell if they're just really nice or they're like – One of them is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know one of them is. <laughs> but I think one of them is, and the other two are, like, nice to me, but I want to get on their bad side. <laughs> it's my drift. Like, I, I never played hockey. I don't want to be a hockey player, so they can just – y'all can have all that, and I, I know what comes with playing hockey as far as a, a, a meanness standpoint. We've learned a lot about you fishing, but but if you have a day, you're you're free for the weekend. This weekend's free. You can do whatever you want, but it can't be outdoors. It can't be fishing. It can't be hunting. Mm -hmm. What does Wes Logan do? Uh, if I'm a smart man, I'm probably going to ask what Riley wants to do. <laughs> <laughs> if I know what's good for me. Uh, but no, I mean, it, I don't know. Like this, like Saturday morning, I think it's Saturday morning. Yeah, Saturday morning, I went and helped my dad and my, my granddad work on a, a truck that we were working on. And, and it's not really about getting the truck fixed. Like, obviously, that's the main goal, but just learning from them because I'm not very mechanically inclined. I mean, I know I know what I'm doing, but I couldn't go rebuild an engine of a vehicle. Like, so, I mean, just being able to – and my granddad's been a mechanic since he was, like, 20, so he knows all this stuff. And, I mean, I just like learning stuff from him. I mean, they're not going to be around forever. And, I mean, so, I mean, as much time as you can spend with, you know, people like that, it's – that's what I want to do. Or I'll be, you know, going to a pumpkin patch with Riley to pick out a pumpkin to carve that evening. Oh, it's a gift that keeps on giving. Pumpkin. Hey, you can't beat it, man. You got the pumpkin spice lattes out there. You got the apple cider. You got a funnel cake. You got you a cute little pumpkin. I mean, there you go.
All of those things sound good. What is your favorite food on the road? Well, where's your, like, what, what, what's your go-to? Oh, dude, I hate eating fast food, but we do it so much. It just makes me feel bad. Like I can't stand it, but I don't know. I mean, uh, every now and then, you know, me and Atkins travel together and um, we'll have time. Like it's easier to cook. I feel like to, to prepare meals and stuff in the early season, because we don't practice from four to, you know, nine o'clock at night. <laughs> And I'm awful about, like, I tell myself every year I'm going to practice. Like, when we go up north, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get off at, like, 5 and have time to rest. Now, 8.30, I'm still out there flinging because I can't freaking catch crap. But it, it, I feel like when me and Justin are able to cook, like, we have some really good meals during practice. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have some chicken thighs, you know, marinating all day, and he'll throw them on a – we got a little – it's like an egg, but it's like a like a cheaper one. It's like – I think it's called an acorn or something. And he, <laughs> the he's a lot. He's a lot better cook than I am, so he lets me. He does all the like, like the meat cooking, and I'll get some sides together. So I mean, when we can like cook at home, it's you obviously feel a lot better, and everything's good like that. But that's probably one of the, the better. He makes some good spaghetti too. I'm not gonna lie. He he. I don't know where they learned it from. Him and his wife argue about where it came from, but they put like brown sugar in their sauce, and it's really? it's pretty good, dude. I'm not gonna lie. Like I, I was hesitant on trying it, but it, it wasn't bad. Um, Riley's not a big sweet eater, so she don't let me put it in when we're around the house, but. When, I, when I'm by myself, I'll, I'll, I'll sprinkle a little bit in there, you know. Well, what's, your, what's your favorite movie of all time? Mm. You got one? Eh, I mean, I get I, – I really like uh, – I like Remember the Titans, and That's I like Friday Night Lights from just a, a sports – like, there, there's a few, you know, quotes and lines in the movie that, you know, I kind of really like about that. I hadn't watched them in a long time, but they're really good movies. Uh, I don't know. Me and Riley watch a lot of the uh, – like the those like the Marvel type stuff, like Iron Man and Captain oh, America yeah. and all that. Like, I mean, that's pretty cool. I, I get into that a little bit, but I mean, I'm not a big movie person. Like, I like a few, you know, a few certain ones, but not like every night or every Friday night. Like, we have movie night. Like, I just normally if I turn TV on, I'm watching you know a rerun of a, one of our tournaments or a, you know a hunting show, something like that, and then or a football game or something like that. I assume you're you're an Alabama fan. I'm I, I, yeah, I am. I, I'm not like this over the top. If we lose, I'm gonna go burn down the stadium. I'm, I'm shooting everybody around me like some of them are. Like, there's a lot of people that are over the top. I mean, and like I was talking about this tonight the other day, they're freaking 18, 19, 20 year old kids. Like, I mean, yeah, they're freak athletes and and they do stuff. I mean, they're human, but like people like like the other night, then like, I don't know if you did you see that Tennessee game? Yeah. Like, when they're like, they're, they're, there's no sense in that. Like, and, and I mean, I get passionate about it. I get mad if we lose. I want them to do better. But at the end of the day, like, it's it's pretty ridiculous. But I mean, yeah, I'm an Alabama fan. And I and I don't like some schools, but it's it's not because of the players on the field. Like, it's just a, a general competition. Yeah. yeah. The one thing that makes college football different that I'm a big NFL fan and I get, get ragged on a lot because I'm not a big college fan. But the, but the, you never see people crying in the stands at the NFL games. I mean, when, no. when people lose, they cry in, in oh, college yeah, it's, football. It's, They're not the best. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Like, it's just something. And I think it's more of like below the Mason-Dixon line that is so just gung-ho about football. And I don't – it's just like a – like opening day of college football is like a – freaking humongous thing down here and like, like i said i'm i'm really passionate like i like watching it i really like yeah. watching the game like regardless of what game it is i just like watching football just because i played it i like seeing what like what they could have done different like watching what's unfolding stuff like that but i mean 
I'm going to say I probably never cried over a, a football game as far as losing. Now, I've been pissed off, but, like, from a crying standpoint, like, it, it's going to be all right. Like, old buddy there that's slinging that football is about to make $3 million next year. He's – yeah, he wanted to win, but in a week he's going to a combine to, you know, further his career. He, he's going to be all right. Yeah, he'll be fine. He'll yeah, be he'll fine. Be good. Now, you, little... Monday morning, you're going to get up and go back to your, you know, your nine to five at the bank, and it's going to be what it is. Yeah, yeah. Why do some people call you Bass Tat? Man, where'd you hear that? Oh, I, I dig deep. <laughs> I dig deep. That's why, I mean, let's be honest. There's a lot better podcast, but they need to come to this to see the deep, deep, divulged stuff because, I mean, that's all, all I can offer. Well, Are see, the thing, the thing about that is there's only about three people that call me that. Two of them told me it. I think three of them actually, maybe. If it, well, see, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to make some phone calls when I get off it because one of them lives in, it's a bass fisherman that lives in Idaho, and the other one's a bass fisherman that lives in Florence, Alabama. Like, that's the two that call me that. And, the the, the and, one and, in Idaho and, and the one in Idaho's camera person were the two. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, that, that is correct. That is correct. I was going to say because you were just on a podcast with the one from Florence, and I happened to be in the boat with him while y'all were doing the podcast. So I was Come on. Huh? Come on, really? Why did yeah, you – Yeah, he oh. didn't even mention me. Like, I was just sitting there in the, in the passenger seat just twiddling my thumbs on the phone. And you've mentioned him several times. Like, oh yeah, he he don't like me. He don't. I don't know what it is about that. He, <laughs> but he yeah, y'all talking spaghetti about, though. Yeah, oh, he does make good spaghetti. <laughs> um, he y'all were talking about the combine or something. Yeah, combine. Yeah. yeah, he got off. He was like, "Did I bore you?" And I was like, "Well, you didn't mention me, so I kind of just zoned y'all out. I, I was kind of prepared, you know. I, I didn't get no mention, but." Uh, yeah, so on to the next question. What what, what are we? What? So you're you're choosing not to answer the Bass Tat question. Is that? I mean, it, it's kind of self-explanatory. If, if you kind of you know you, you know you have bass and and uh -huh. tat is short for another word. You know you know you for know tattoo. I, mean? I would assume. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. For sure. Is it true yeah. that your entire back is a big, large mouth mouth opening? Is that true? Yeah, it, it is, and it's actually got angel wings that come down my arms on the back of my arms, or like across my shoulders and stuff. It, it's a pretty cool sight, and it's actually got Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s number in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I do have a – I mean, it, between close friends, I do have a nickname of Bass Tad, and, uh, you know, <sighs> I mean, it, it – it kind of just it's self-explanatory now where it's at it's probably disclosed information and it may show up on a, a elite series stage one day i don't know so you're not going to show us said bass tat but i have to I, I don't know I, i'm not sure what, you on uh, stage. what this podcast is rated um I, you know you know i don't know if it's been approved for the type of ratings and anything like that as far as pg you know pg 13 stuff like that we we might need to keep that uh okay until we get a like a, a confirmation from whoever runs these zoom me <laughs> okay all right all right I'll, I'll let you go with it but there is a bass tat somewhere on his body and it is glorious i've heard i have heard uh speaking of glorious things what's the goal now i mean you've won an elite what well, what it's the goal obviously the classic angler of the year win another elite or or is it the goal just to continue to trust the process yeah i mean pretty much that uh i, I don't feel like you can realistically set a goal like 
okay, I made the classic. Now I'm going to go win it at Hartwell in March. Like, I mean, obviously all 50, however many number of us are going to be shooting for that goal. But like, I don't feel like that's the way you, it's, you go up the ladder. I mean, you just, I just want to fish as good as I can every year. And that was my main thing coming into this year. I just want to do fish better. Like, and I felt like if I fish better, my finishes will be better. I'll be higher in the AOI points. I might happen to win one, which I was very fortunate to do. But going into next season and however long I get to fish, make a career out of this, I just want to go out there and fish as good as I can and make good decisions and not be mad at myself after a tournament for being doing something dumb. Like just being able to think clear, not get spun out, like and everything else will take care of itself. Like when I'm supposed to win again, if I ever get to, it'll happen. If I have a chance to win OI one year, that'll happen. But mainly just – and going into every year, obviously the goal is to make the classic. That's our main goal every year. And you can't win it if you're not there. There's that cliche deal. But, yeah, I want to win the classic. Yeah, I want to win AOI. But all in all, every tournament I want to go into and fish as good as I can and then let everything else play out for itself. It's been very good having you on here. One last question. Why do some people call you Bass Tat? <laughs> It might possibly because there's a tattoo of a bass on my chest. Your chest? Yeah. Oh, oh wow. Wow. I can't wait to uh, – I don't know if I'm excited to see it or not. Who knows? This just got really awkward. <laughs> I'm a little ball of hate. Wes Logan, thank you very much. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. That right there is an amazing dude that comes from an amazing family, is just surrounded by amazing people. And evidently has an amazing tattoo, but uh, I guess we'll have to stay tuned to another episode to see that. Um, dude's accomplished some amazing things, and uh, you can hear in him, definitely got his priorities straight. Speaking of priorities straight, you got him straight because you watched this podcast. We're here every single Wednesday. I don't ask you guys to do anything except for like, comment, subscribe, and review. And whatever platform you watch it on, do something so other people can find us so I can keep talking to you. It's not about any of them. It's not about this person or this person. It's about you right there. If you comment, if you like, if you subscribe, this will grow. Thank you. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to. You hear?